welcome to GoonPod. Uh, now, following on from last week's chat with John Daglish, this time around, I'm speaking to another of the stars of Spike, the hit new play about uh, Spike Milligan and focusing on his Goon show period. Uh, this time around, it's the incredible Margaret Caborn Smith. Now, for the benefit of any uninformed wretches out there, uh, Margaret has been, as they say, all across British comedy over the last 20 years, uh, appearing in countless TV and radio series and on stage and on podcasts as well. Uh, her credits include uh, Miranda, Peep Show, Psychoville, The Now Show, John Finnemore's Souvenir Programme, which is fantastic. Check it out if you haven't heard it. And even, although uh, I wouldn't class this as comedy particularly, The Archers. It'll never take off. She's also team captain on the hit podcast, Do the Right Thing, and is on the verge of releasing a new podcast herself, which uh, we briefly touch upon. So Margaret and I talked about all sorts of stuff, uh, including play, by the way, but it was, um, you know, it was a thoroughly enjoyable and amusing conversation. Anyway, here it is. It's just after us getting the introductions over with. I, I had John on on Friday. Yes. yes, I just listened to that. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was right in the middle of Storm Eunice. Oh, God. <laughs> um, so it's a bit windy. It looks like we're, we're right in the middle of World War Three. it would have been. Yeah. So, um, I mean, news is moving pretty quickly yeah. at the moment, lurching from pandemic to deadly storm to World War Three. Mm, but don't worry, you know, our Prime Minister will see us through. Oh, God, yeah. How could we doubt it? <laughs> Uh, somewhere in the distance a lone dog is howling (laughs) um so margaret thanks as you know as i say thank you for for joining me and um appreciate you're you're busy and you'll be what on 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 stage in the next few hours i guess i will be yeah yeah no matinee today otherwise i'd literally be on stage now Um, right so yeah we're we're back in tonight um we have our peter sellers returned to us oh good having been isolating and going mad he's back in the show although our standing was wonderful as well yes that was peter jukes was it yeah peter jukes the stand-in uh-huh. Okay. Okay. And he's going to come back and see it a few more times in case any of the rest of us go down. Well, so, so he could. So if you went down, he could stand in for you, could he? Apparently. I mean, I find this slightly insulting. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I don't know what it says about the sexual politics, whatever. If we have a Janet yeah. in drag complaint <laughs> about the way women are treated at the BBC, but there you go. Hopefully, it's not going to happen. Um. I probably first became aware of you. Now, it was either Peep Show. Oh, yes. Which was the, you were the speed dating coordinator, course, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, but do you know what I think it was that where I first heard your name and I first actually heard you? Um, now, this is a bit of an obscure one, but the, the Trap Sodcast. Oh, wow. <laughs> no, good choice. <laughs> I mean, yeah, our, we have a real shared love of comedy, me and the the trap boys yeah i used to listen to it a lot the traps because jeremy was often um quoting milligan and stuff like that so i gather yeah, he was yeah. and also uh i'm obviously aware of um your subsequent work and also dan i'm, I'm i was very uh fond of dan tetzel when he yeah. used to turn up on richard herring's podcast oh yes um, yeah yeah well i mean we were talking about how tiny andrew collins mm. Definitely owns owes a lot to uh, to Blue Bottle. 
all of the things. Yeah, never, never um, thought of that. No, it's a funny one. I mean, and it wasn't conscious at all. I don't think on, on Richard or Dan's behalf, but um, yeah, all of that. He may mm. as well be saying, thanks. I'm <laughs> doing that. <laughs> yeah. Did you did you meet Dan on Lab Rats, by the way? No, we we were together a few for a few years uh, before that. We met in at the Edinburgh Festival where he was doing the Museum of Everything the first okay. time, and I was doing Miranda Hart's one woman show uh, where there was four of us in it right. uh, at the same venue. So yeah, twenty years okay. ago. Oh God. What I like to do, and and I and look, I don't know. Usually, when I've got guests, I have some awareness of their sort of fondness or otherwise of mm-hmm. Spike and the Goon Show and and the whole that whole sort of period if you like but yeah. I, I, I don't I don't know anything in terms of you know did you grow up with any sort of knowledge of the show? Weirdly I mean I sort of blame my whole comedy career on the Goons in some ways Weirdly, it wasn't that we listened to the shows a lot but my dad had uh, the, the books of the scripts oh yeah and he would read them to us at bedtime so um, you know whereas other kids were getting Enid Blyson and Swallows and Amazons, we were getting a lot of Eccles and and Blue Bottle. I haven't actually spoken to my sister about how much it affected her, but I feel like it definitely, I mean, I'm always saying this to people and they're always saying, yeah, yeah, that that explains a lot, you know, (laughs) (laughs) comedy nerd at heart. Um, So, yeah, and um, to be fair to my dad, uh, he, he was very good at the voices. So when I have, you know, come to listen to the real ones, They've been pretty impressive, really. Okay. Because um, my dad used to tell me, well, he didn't read me a story. He used to he used to tell me stories at bed, just make up. And it was like it was like a serial. It was like oh, the really? same, the same characters. Um and the only one I remember was this Irishman called Seamus O'Shaughnessy. <laughs> um, but he'd do the voices, and it, every night it'd be it would be just like carrying on from where we left off the night before, you know? Oh my just, God, just um that's lovely um, parenting yeah Do you know what? my kids are totally ungrateful about um mine and dan's uh skills uh, <laughs> right. you know they, they'll often say stop stop doing the voices stop doing the voices <laughs> and i'm like do you know how much i get paid to do voices it's not very much but it's more than, uh, <laughs> than you're giving just on that actually because you do a lot of voiceover work um or yeah. you have done this is i don't want to sound creepy it's going to sound creepy, but I don't want it to. Okay, but okay. your okay. voice—I can imagine you having. Do you remember Euro Trash? Yes. Oh, you, I know. Yeah, I think that was Maria McCurlane. Did she do it? Or I'm those, not sure. Those, those really, really silly voices they'd put over the <laughs> soft porn. Yeah, I'll, I'll take that. I'll, I'll try not to see that as creepy. <laughs> <laughs> it's. Um, yeah, I do. No, no, no. Don't worry. I, yeah, mm. I, I get it. No, I love. I love. I mean, yeah, silly voices. Absolutely my wheelhouse so you, obviously so you, you listened to, you know well say so you listen to your father doing the goon show scripts yeah. um what about exposure to spike or to sell yeah, we, we had the um we had the most of the poetry books like when i was a kid we you know the ning nang nong and all of that um mm. and then uh, yeah peter sellers from very early on shot in the dark is a favorite family film that is and my so- favorite peter sellers film of all time it's it's just this classic moment after classic moment. It's just beautiful. Do you know um, the best the best I th- what I consider the best bit of that film? Go on. And I don't know how often you've seen it recently or how. I haven't seen it recently for a while actually. Yeah. Okay. Like... But there's a bit 
right near the end where because it's, it's essentially like a um it's almost like an agatha christie kind of setup he's got yeah. this he's got this family where you know he's doing a summing up of a murder case in a, in a drawing room with his family and staff and they all start squabbling and sort of pushing each other and fighting with each other physically and clouseau is trying to sort of maintain control and he can't and at one point he just turns and just stares down the barrel of the lens so breaking the fourth wall with this oh, exasperated yeah. expression on his face and that to me is perfect yeah i mean that <laughs> use sparingly is is brilliant do you yes. know Harold and Maud? oh yes i do yeah, great with them after, where he does that to the camera just gives a creepy smile to the camera yes. after, <laughs> after his third fake suicide uh, Ruth Gordon is Harold Moore. She's fantastic, isn't yes. she, Ruth Gordon? Yeah, she's amazing. Um, I don't suppose you've ever seen the the US version of Georgia Mildred called The Ropers, have you? No, no, I wasn't sure that existed. Well, there was there was the so the sorry, I don't know why this is going down this <laughs> this direction, um, but it does. These conversations do. Um, they they so uh, the US bought the format of Man About the House and and called it Three's Company. Okay. Yes, very successful that one. And and in Three's Company, the the Georgia Mildred um, were equivalent were were called um, uh, Stanley and Helen Roper. Okay, right. and then they got their own spinoff, just as Georgia Mildred did. Um, theirs wasn't quite as successful. Um, but the reason I mention that is because probably every episode, I'd say without doubt, without you know every episode, there would be at least uh, two or three instances of Stanley Roper sort of gurning into the camera. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Usually, usually holding a um, a plunger in his hand <laughs> yeah I mean you have to use it sparingly I would say as a as a device yeah um, yeah as Spike the the play that I'm in at the moment uh goes on John um who plays Spike John Daglish is absolutely brilliant but he he's doing more and more stuff just basically out to the audience you know as the, the rest of us are carrying on around him and uh yeah he's engaging with them and it is yeah it's so brilliant and so powerful so, okay, so let's start. So how did you get this role? What was the casting process like? The casting process was, um, well, for these days, boringly straightforward. There's uh, a Zoom, uh, Zoom read-through with the director and the casting assistant. I mean, it didn't start well because my internet went down and I had to sort of, I had to then have a really shameful backdrop of a really untidy front room with, you know, loads of kids, <laughs> boys and stuff, which is yeah. It isn't the most professional mindset to be in, um, turfing the children out. But um, no, so I just did the, the opening monologue, uh, which has a lot of spot effects stuff. So I was miming creaking doors and <laughs> feeling very, you know, very self-conscious about it. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, it, it went well enough that that they called and asked me to do it that evening. So uh, Okay, great. So, so you play Janet. Is that right? I play Janet, yes, who is a fictional character, but very much based on a lot of the women being taken advantage of at the BBC at the time, uh, doing amazing work in the in the sound effects department. Sure, sure. Speaking of which, and again, I'm so, sorry to slightly digress, but um, uh, was it last last weekend Beryl Virtue died? Yes. Um, who's obviously a legend in yes. terms of television. Yeah production and whatnot um <clears throat> but she was she got her first job as one of the secretaries for spike and 
Oh, really? Um, well, do you know he set up this this company called Associated London Scripts with um, Eric Sykes and Golden Simpson? Yes. yes, I was aware of them. And Beryl Virtue, as I say, I think one of her first jobs was was you know, making the tea for them all. Um, and sort of getting involved with a bit of everything. And I guess that just sort of developed. That's where she sort of cut her teeth and then never looked back. No, and so impressive, particularly for um, for being a woman and being in that very, very male world and sort of holding her ground. Yes. I love all of that. I love that the sort of um, uh, the through line of, of comedy. I, um, uh, you know, Jeff Posner. Yes. Um, he, so he's an, you know, highly acclaimed producer director now but hit one of his first jobs ever was making the toast go up in the Morecambe and Wise breakfast oh, I've heard he that. crouched down behind the counter making yeah. the toast go up and I worked with a, an amazing floor manager called Joe Kennedy Valentine and one of her her first jobs was making the soup in the two soups oh, really <laughs> yeah and you think like, this is just so good and then you you know you stay in comedy. And I have to remind myself, when I feel like my career isn't going well, I have to remind myself of all of those little things that I've, that I've done and the people I've got to, to work with. It's um, it's so nice to, as a comedy nerd, you know, since age five or whatever, it's so nice to feel a part of that. Yeah, you mentioned about being a comedy nerd. I know that you've, because I've, you know, I've, I've, I'm, I'm a, what's the word? Obsessed? That'll do. I'm obsessed by podcasts. Okay, I tend yes. to not just making them, but listening to them. And I, um, I remember you on the Rule of Three with um, uh, Jason and um, oh, yeah. Um, you were talking about Fry and Laurie and your love for for Hugh Laurie in particular. Yeah. Didn't you almost sort of like alienate your friends, your teenage oh, friends? Totally alienated my friends. <laughs> I feel, um, yeah, because it's it, yeah, it's not like you know, it's not something cool. I feel like the there are and have been more cool comedy things that have come along but generally but as you say being obsessed is not cool anyway no you know, sort of the the weird obsessive things that you do however much you you know you can try and engage your friends they're not coming with you the whole way you know they're not making rings out of the radio times and wearing them <laughs> wedding finger <laughs> um but i uh I suppose there's part of me which is just like, well, I just have to accept that this is who I am, you know. And then obviously as you get older, it does become easier because you meet people who are like-minded and who do. I um, When we got married, um, I got married eight years ago, and uh, the best man said in his speech that um, the first thing Dan had said about me was, she knows about Tony Hancock and she's not annoying. <laughs> um, and I mean, I think he, he would take back the annoying thing probably pretty quickly, but... Um, <laughs> But yeah, so I can sort of blame my relationship also on comedy nerdery. Okay, so just on that, so mm. are you a fan or were you a fan of Hancock then? Yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. I did, um, I don't know if you know, but what, one of the jobs I've absolutely loved in the last few years was re-recording the missing Hancocks, the ones where there aren't any uh, of recordings of them. And I got to play Moira Lister. Right. In first it, series. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. But I met, so I met Galton and Simpson and I curtsied when I met them. <laughs> and I, I, you know, and I stand by it. Well, <laughs> I'm absolutely. not sure if I would when I met the, the royals. <laughs> but Galton and Simpson was just like, this is, you know, amazing. Yeah, they invented well, the sitcom. Well, I reckon if I'd had the chance to meet 
Spike or any yeah. Peter even or Harry, I'd have probably genuflected. Yeah. <laughs> probably. One further. Okay, yeah. Need <laughs> Just you're talking about obsession for comedy. Yeah. And look, this is, I don't want this to be about me, but this is the point <laughs> where regular listeners will go and make a cup of tea because I say this all the time. But I I discovered the goons when I was 14 and I'm same age as you, I think, or similar. I'm I'm in my 40s. Okay. Um <laughs> and um I discovered it by accident and I just became obsessed for about four years to the point where but but it was it was under the radar my friends didn't know yeah because um, because I and I left I grew up in New Zealand and then I left when I was sort of 16 to, to come right. over to, to the to to live in Belfast believe it or not oh. um there's a story and yeah. but I I met I made new friends but I didn't still you know I kept it kept it secret because it almost seemed at that age I just felt and it was the, you know it was the early 90s I just thought mm, it's a little a bit, bit shameful yeah you know what I mean <laughs> yeah I do yeah, yeah. <laughs> very much yeah and because 14 I mean actually it was probably easier to be a goons fan at, at age five because you've got no awareness of what you're supposed to be into and what the you know, mm, mm. people around are into but I mean the goons it, it it really does hold up I listened to a couple today and I was properly laughing out loud <laughs> it's not you know yeah it's not yeah. a shameful thing. No. <laughs> it's not a shameful thing anymore. No, the weird thing is because I, I stopped listening for about, not stopped listening, but I kind of um, moved on yeah. for about 25 or 25 years or something, something like that. But I, but the shows were so sort of um, burned into my memory yeah. that, that li- listening to them again, because I started this podcast as a kind of a, an experiment in re you know, re immersing myself in that world and um so yeah. i'm re-listening to them and and i'm actually discovering i'm i'm developing maybe even a deeper appreciation for some of the stuff that i just kind of just sort of went over my head when i was yeah yeah, yeah i totally get that you sort of accept it and there's almost things that you you learn off by heart without understanding all of it yeah and then yeah coming back when there's a different layer of it or you know satire or sexual content or whatever mm. it is yeah yeah absolutely so let's keep darting around but the show itself so um i mean john was talking about it the other day he said that you have the burden of kind of essentially doing a lot of i don't want to say audience warm-up but you do kind <laughs> of get them you get them laughing yeah yeah it's funny because I, I i listened to his uh episode of this and um and i haven't sort of seen it as, as that before but it's it's completely right and i'm so pleased it's going as well as it is because on the page it doesn't look like much you know it's sort of like it's a woman with a cabbage and a cleaver or something oh i don't know maybe that sounds amazing to you but um <laughs> I, uh, uh it, it does i i really um uh didn't expect it to be to people to be so into it. People absolutely love seeing things, you know, sounds being made from mm. ordinary objects. It's just a you know a really basic thing. I suppose it's the, the live element of it. Um, you get you get to go. This is this is really happening, and um, it's it's just fun. And I the more I I got into it. I mean, I was trained by a brilliant. Uh, Foley artist and an Emmy award-winning Foley artist called Ruth Um, Mm -hmm. and she was very patient with my cack-handedness and my lack of technical competence Um, and then once you get to the point where it looks effortless hopefully it's just 
it's just fun. It's just, it just lifts everything. Yeah. So just in case people listening to this aren't quite aware, so so you're essentially uh, bot effects operator. Yes. So it's it's um, sound of crunching on gravel. Crunching on gravel, creaking doors, mm-hmm. uh, a ruler being a bow and arrow, um, a tin of glass being some dustbins, and of course the classic horse's hooves uh, with a coconut also on gravel. Do you know, I'm sure you do, that story about the sound effect or Spike achieving or trying to achieve the sound effect for the sound of a batter pudding being hurled at someone? Oh, was that the sock full of custard? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I don't know how many different versions of the story there are, but I know that there's there's one where he was literally in the canteen mm-hmm. attacking someone with, with a sock full of custard. <laughs> it's been, I, I mean, I can, spoiler, but uh, there is a sock full of custard in the show. And the big headache about sock full of custard is it doesn't sound like a sock full of custard, you know, no. really make a squelching noise. Uh, John is ultimately going. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and that works in, in context. But um, yeah, it's, it's uh, the, the, the tricks are fun. Um, so you've, you've obviously worked in radio before yes um what the archers even and and hancock like you say and were you exposed to f spot fx in those shows and people well only in obviously because they have moved on but um when we did the missing hancocks we decided to do it all as accurately as possible so we all got super dressed up um all right there was a there was a spot effects woman there with her little door and she was delighted to be doing it i think because because it has changed so much. So they still they still do stuff. I did a um I did a, a play sort of on location, a radio play where I played a woman with um hyperemesis, which is uh where you vomit constantly during pregnancy. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. A lot, and a, there's a lot of vomit in that. <laughs> and um there was an amazing moment where I had to run out of this house being chased by the guy with the the, the mic, the sound designer, David Thomas, who's brilliant, yeah. um, r- run out of this door onto the pavement, <laughs> um, make some disgusting retching noises while he threw a, a can of minestrone soup. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, brilliantly, a dog immediately turned up and ate it. <laughs> it's a very glamorous life. At any point, did, did the producers say anything like, we need more vomit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was, yeah, there, he had to bring quite a lot of minestrone soon. Oh, God. <laughs> it was, um, I don't know if you're aware, um, I'm trying to think now, Andrew Sachs, um, he produced a half hour play on Radio 4 about, God, I don't know, 40 years ago, maybe. And I, I can't remember what it was called now, but the thing about it was that there was no dialogue. It was oh. all it was all sound effects, as in there was a there was a story. Okay, yeah. But it was all conveyed just through sound effects, if that makes sense. That sounds amazing. Have you heard it? Yeah. And I can't remember what it's called. And I've got a feeling, and I might be wrong here, there's probably people shouting at me <laughs> that do know. Um, I've got a feeling he's a man that's sort of like he's someone on the run or he's trying to escape or he's going through the forest or something. I don't, I don't, I'm not quite sure. I'll have to dig it out. But um but yeah, that was that was just achieved through sound effects, which I thought was a oh. fantastic and idea. Presumably, his voice, as in making noises, 
I have heard it, but it is, we are talking maybe 10 years ago that I heard yeah, it. Yeah. And, I, and I've got a feeling, again, I might be wrong, that maybe he was like doing a bit of puffing. Yes, I was going to say, I mean, so yeah. if he's running through a forest, you're going to hear panting. Yeah. The Revenge, a play for radio without words by Andrew Sachs. It's an amazing um, skill, and I bet you've developed a, a real respect. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm very, very proud of being able to get a noise out of a saw. I really am. <laughs> uh, you know, with a bow and everything. So yeah. Spooky, spooky noises. <laughs> so you, how did you feel on the first night? Because you were you the first person that the audience first saw? Person up. Yeah, I um, for the first week, I was down uh, by the stage you know, sort of 20 minutes earlier than anyone else, <laughs> pacing around and mouthing to myself and, um, you know, practicing with a saw. Yeah. Uh, but, um, do you know, it is, it is one of those things that as soon as the audience is there, the whole thing just lifts. And, um, you know, I sort of remember why I love it. And I, and I understand that it's not a, a test of my technical ability. <laughs> you know, it's, um, it's part of, telling the story of, of, of Spike and, you know, getting the laughs. Sure. And, and in, in terms of how do you interact in the course of the, how do you interact? Because you've got, you've got John, obviously he plays Spike. You've got yeah. um, uh, George Kemp as Peter, yeah. Jeremy Lloyd as, as Harry. You've got other, and one thing we didn't mention with John was, was the other performers. So. Yeah. Um, yes. Who we absolutely should mention. Um, James Mack, Ellie Morris and Rob Mountford. Mm-hmm that's everyone yeah that's everyone uh and I it's so boring isn't it to say that everyone's brilliant and lovely I sort of feel like I should say they're all brilliant and lovely except for one uh just to keep them on their toes <laughs> they are all brilliant and lovely boringly so how is the um because you've been doing it now since end of January you, you, yeah the show runs until early March. March yeah so it's just under two weeks I mean it's going really really fast has it kind of evolved? Has it changed quite a lot from from, it, from what it began? Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, I think you would definitely recognise it from the beginning uh, to now. But um, we are definitely like the joy of it is finding new stuff all the time, and you know, and it, it's such a playful show that we're all getting to do stuff that um, yeah we wouldn't necessarily have thought of in the beginning. And as you get to know each other's performance and track it's all um you know we wouldn't we wouldn't do and take any liberties with the script for example but um yeah finding new ways of doing things is is definitely one of the joys of doing a long-running show not that it's that long-running <laughs> to be honest but uh mm. yeah. I don't know it's, it's weird like I'm the oldest in the cast which I'm very um which I have been very self-conscious about um but actually you do realise that 
that, that there are good things about that as well. Like I've been doing this such a long time now. There are things that I um, that I can do that I wouldn't have been able to do when I was in my my twenties or whatever. And just an understanding of of technique and audience and whatever. Through all of the rehearsal process, I was just shouting out ideas basically, <laughs> trying to trying to add in. I mean, I was told off eventually for trying to add too many jokes, but <laughs> I didn't need to be told. That's the trouble. <laughs> I, um, yeah, I mean, as I say, I've spoken with Nick. I've obviously never never met or spoken with Ian. I get the impression just from his Have I Got News For You persona that Ian Hislop doesn't suffer fools gladly. I no. don't know if that's uh, correct or not, but um, have you ever sort of had the sharp end of his tongue for straying too much from the script or anything? No, I, um, no, I was... Uh, practicing the saw too loudly so I was up at one point but no he came on um they came on the first preview and then a few days later they came to the press night and after after the show Ian said to me surely you can't need any more praise and I was like have you met a performer (laughs) (laughs) you have to give me more praise where is my praise it's all I want (laughs) So uh, yeah, that's that's the closest I've come. No, they Ian and Nick are both absolutely lovely. Mm. I suppose I should take it as a, as a good thing because it means I'm not an idiot. Absolutely, that has uh, suffered me. <laughs> and and John mentioned that um, Spike's family have had an involvement and and um, certainly Jane turned up. I'm not yeah. sure about the rest of the family, yeah. but Jane turned up. Did you meet Jane? Jane? Jane was up. Yeah, and she was brilliant just absolutely brilliant and um I had a chat with her wife which was really interesting because she was saying Jane is really super supportive of all million based mm. ventures and goes yep. to see everything um but obviously some of those things are more difficult than others you know especially if you you know and obviously she is aware that her father had uh, major mental health issues but it's not necessarily what you want to focus on I suppose you know so go and see a show you don't particularly want to see, you know, like those the BBC Four, yes. about the, the tragic clown, which is all crying and wanking. Um, and that's yes. not, not what you want. So I think she was, I think she was genuinely really pleased to have something that celebrated. It's not sugarcoating it. It's not pretending it doesn't exist. It absolutely does explore his, his mental health issues, but that's not what it's about. It's not saying this is what it's like to live with someone uh, with these with these problems. It's actually, um, yeah, celebrating his work and his amazing mind and his friendships. Um, and yeah. I think that's been a nice thing for her to, to see. Well, I, I think that he would, he would, if he was still around, and by the, by the way, it's 20 years on Sunday oh, wow. since, since he went. Um, but if he was still around, he would probably, well, he, he, kind of, he always said that the goon show ruined his health or, or, or sent him mad yeah. or um, it was the, you know, it was such a torturous what, nine years because yeah. he, he had the burden of writing and not just on his own, let's be fair, but he, you know, he it did, was his baby. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think that, I mean, Peter Sellers always said that it was the happiest time of his life. Yeah. And um harry obviously loved it as well though harry just i think harry loved everything he did yeah (laughs) i feel like um having watched get back recently i was really struck by the way that harry seekham is basically ringo and is just is just there having a lovely time and sort of holding everyone together yeah that's that's right that's a great way of putting it because he 
he would be the one where, and, and you, you maybe explore this in the play, um, but he he would be the one where, because you've got the two highly strung performers <laughs> in yes. Milligan and Sellers yeah. who loved each other, but equally, not equally, but often they they would fall out and they would yeah. bicker and quarrel and, and even threaten each other. Um, and Harry would be the one who would come in and diffuse the situation yeah. just by, I don't know, blowing a raspberry or telling them to, you know, telling them an old army joke or something that would get them laughing. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's very much, uh, yeah, part of this as well. It's so, yeah, benign as well, you know, which isn't to underestimate his his talent, but I think that even he would say he's nowhere near a genius, whereas having uh, Spike and Peter, who are both absolutely geniuses, uh, who and geniuses tend to be pretty difficult <laughs> um yeah. So yeah they were very grateful to him and i know that the thing about the the period the the, the goon show period of spike he was obviously under a lot of pressure and at one point he was he was admitted to a or maybe more than one point mm. psychiatric hospitals and um and there are the stories and i know that um john alluded to the um potato peeler incident for example yeah. um there's, there's stories like that <laughs> um the story and, and i shouldn't laugh it, it always amuses me it, even though it's it's shocking behavior i suppose in a way but there's a story where spike was ill and he was upstairs in his house and his wife june was downstairs in the kitchen or whatever and there's a knock on the door and it's someone with a telegram so she opens the telegram and it's from it's from spike <laughs> saying you bring me up a bowl of soup <laughs> well this is pre-mobile phones you know yeah. <laughs> people in the next room to us <laughs> it's difficult isn't it because i think that is so funny but i also imagine that as his wife <laughs> it's just completely infuriating yeah um performing in this show and and from you know from your knowledge of spike and of the goons you know what impact now if any do you think or have they got on on british comedy today is is there any sort of echo do you think i mean i think there's a massive echo i think the sad thing is that people don't know where it comes from necessarily um you know there's all the people that do attribute their success and their you know success but um cites him as an influence an absolutely massive influence um i remember when i was at drama school there was an american guy who was a real anglophile and was totally obsessed with python and beyond the fringe and mm -hmm. the other things and i as a leaving present i got him the best of the goons but i said i said you need to know where this comes you know you need to know where this began yeah um so i feel like i feel like it it, it is all there but it's um, people don't necessarily know his name. Mm. You know, the Goon Show, they might've heard of the, I think I feel like everybody's heard of the Goon Show, but they don't know. I think there's a lot of, they would be surprised to hear the actual content of it. And obviously a lot of the content is very much of its time and problematic. Uh, but I feel like the, the best stuff is just as fresh as it's, as it was in in the 50s oh yeah just oh, yeah. really impressive you know it, it feels like it transcends time um and quite, i feel like spike milligan definitely i feel like whenever he lived he would have been creating amazing things and influencing 
generations. Although I, I, I do think, and he created some marvelous work post goons. Of course he did, but mm. but he did also do a lot of coasting. If you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and fair enough. I guess if you've nearly killed yourself over your workload uh, for a long time, coasting must be uh, very appealing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you said that Peter Sellers said it was the best time of his life. Yeah. And um, the thing that made me really sad about that is I read something that's saying he didn't realise it until it was too late sort of thing, how, how brilliant it was as a thing. Because he he was always so ambitious and always like going on to the next thing and sort of wanting to be, you know, whatever, like a film star, which he was. And, you know, though he never got an Oscar, is that right? He got close to it. He got, yeah. he got nominated for Best Actor for being there. Yes. And... Now, yeah. was it being there that there was a blooper reel at the end? Yeah. And, and I think he could be right that it cost him the Oscar because the Oscars are very, when it comes to comedy, they're very sort of po-faced about it. And Yeah, it was a, it was a really weird decision. Mm. Whoever, whoever sort of signed off on that, it was a really weird decision. I mean, he says that cost him the Oscar. I'm sure it possibly had an influence, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, it was up against Dustin Hoffman, who, who walked away with it for Kramer versus Kramer. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean, I, I suppose, I'm not sure I've ever seen being there. Um, is it funny? Uh, right. It's a film that I admire, mm-hmm. but it's not a film I laugh at. Yeah. And it's not really a comedy. It's, it's, it's okay, the word I would use is it's, it's a comedy drama and it's also wry. Um, yeah. which which to me means humour that you don't laugh at. Yeah, um, it's, yeah it, it's it's basically, it's, it's a comedy of misunderstandings. And, um, uh, but it, yeah, I can, I can appreciate it for, for its worth and for the story itself and for what the, the message that it conveyed. Um, yeah. I mean, he should have won. I think he, was he nominated? Someone again shouted me. He was nominated, I think, for Strange Love. Oh, right. Yeah, and that is... But again, I think maybe it's too funny. The Oscars don't like funny. They want um, they want someone being they do they want terrible someone. pain. Yes, <laughs> yeah. while being famous. Yeah, but he um, um... no. So I, I felt very sad about that. But I feel like it's a really good lesson uh, in enjoying what you're what you're doing and that thing of like messing around with your friends, which I feel like I am doing on this show. I'm having such a lovely time with such a uh, great bunch of people. Um, and and it's such a it's such a huge thing I think to not be thinking oh why aren't I you know winning Oscars I I don't think I'm going to win an Oscar I should <laughs> say that now but um you know it's so easy to feel frustrated at where your career is and what you're supposed to be doing next and it's so nice to have that reminder that actually if you as a job get to mess around with lovely people then you know. <laughs> shut up <laughs> yeah enjoy that and stop looking to the next thing yeah that's right I, I think with with um with Sellers he was he had a very pushy mother mm. he obviously had the talent and he had the ambition but he had a very pushy mother who was always sort of saying to him this isn't good enough for you you need, you need something better something always looking for something better always looking for you know the next the next something bigger so he was always doing that and he had that success from sort of 50 late 50s to till till the heart attacks in 64 and then he sort of had about best part of a decade of some good films but a lot of you know filler yeah um 
Yeah. And then, so, and, and then he had all these failed marriages and I think it was the last decade of his life. So, you know, he died in 1980. So sort of from, from the early seventies, like he was looking back all the time. And. Yeah. Which I think is sort of as sad as looking forward in a way. <laughs> yeah, it's right. Cause he used to take, he'd drive past old schools that he used to go to and he would, uh, he would revisit old houses that he used to own. Um, wow. th there's a story of, he used to, he had this big pile of bricks somewhere, I forget where. You'll he, get shouted at, don't worry. I will, yeah. Um, and uh, it was, I think it was called St. Fred's. It was dubbed St. Fred's by, mm -hmm. by the kids. Uh, and he lived there during much of the Goon Show period and then moved on. I think sort of 1974, 1975, the, the subsequent owners of the house were outside and they saw this man at the gates quite some distance away, just sort of standing there staring in. And they walked up and they recognized it was Peter Sellers and he just wanted to have a look at the house. He just wanted to sort of walk around the grounds. Yeah. Um, wistfully, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's sad. I mean, and apparently in his personal effects after he died, they um, discovered a list of every car he'd ever owned and their registration. And it's. Yes. Yes. How many cars he got through. You sort of think this is. I don't know. I, I feel like is that a is that a happy person? I shouldn't say that because I'm an obsessive person myself. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want people going through my face and going, "God, was she all right?" Um, but yeah, it se it seems like um, the sign of someone who is not, yeah, living in the moment. I guess. No, he wasn't. He wasn't a happy chappy. But he. Um, but you you wonder whether because because being there was his penultimate film, and then he made this terrible film, um, and then he died. But off the back of being there, he was riding high. And, yeah. and you could excuse Fu Manchu, you know, but if he'd, yeah, lived, yeah. if he'd lived, he could have gone on to make... I've had this conversation with other people, friends of mine and whatnot. You know, if he'd... If he'd because he was only 54 when he died in 1980. If he'd lived another, let's say, another 20 years, could you imagine him instead of Anthony Hopkins in Silence yeah. of the Lambs? Yeah. You know, exactly. doing something like that. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a real lost to culture actually mm. He, mm. you know some people you're sort of sad about them dying because you know they seemed lovely <laughs> whatever um i don't think Peter sellers particularly seemed lovely uh but what he could do was so unique and special and i think you're right he would have gone on to amazing things yeah but then he did at least get to do some amazing things oh god yeah oh absolutely and the, the people that he met and the places that he went yeah um it was um, it was an interesting life for sure. Yeah. So what what's next for you after the? I mean, obviously you don't know about the future of the play yet, whether it's going to uh, no, tour or no. As as John mentioned in in his podcast, the actors are the last people to know. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I hope that this does does have a life. Uh, I'm actually launching my own podcast. It's called Crushed by Margaret K. Bourne Smith. Oh, and that's the next thing that we're sort of um, in the process of editing, editing together, uh, sort of interviews with lots of funny people. Crush. So, so it's so what's about crushes? It's about sort of formative crushes and crushes that people have now. And I have a guest every episode. Oh, their, um, you know, right, who, well, they were, who they were making rings out of the Radio Times for. <laughs> <laughs> I had two crushes. Um, I won't mention one of them, but <laughs> this this is going to sound weird. Um, or a bit obscure, possibly. Right. Uh, Imogen Stubbs. 
Oh no, very good, good choice. Mm. And uh, and yeah, any any sort of uh, TV work, film, anything like that? I have up? a uh, I'm in a a show for Apple TV uh, called Trying. They're on the um, the third series. Mm-hmm. Not sure when it's. I think they've they've only just finished filming, so it might be a, a few months. But I have a lovely role in that. Um, very small, but but super fun. Oh, so, great. Yeah, I won't be cut out of that. So. <laughs> as soon as I've mentioned it, I'm like, oh, well, I've been that. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's uh, that's what's next. Excellent. Well, listen, Margaret, I wish you all the best with the rest of, of the, the play. Um, hope Thank that it, uh, it goes from strength to strength and also with um, the, the podcast as well. And, yeah. um, and, and many, many thanks oh. for, for finding the time to speak to me today. Well, it's been absolutely delightful. Thank you, Tyler. Thanks again to Margaret. Another scheduled episode is up on Wednesday, and it's a threesome. Well, there's three of us, and we talk about old comedy for an hour or so. Uh, it's uh, it's Michael Livesley and Paul Carmichael from one of my favourite new podcasts of 2021, Nice Things. Uh, so check that out on Wednesday. Just, just before I go, I want to just mention that uh, in recent weeks, I've been lucky enough to be a guest on a handful of great podcasts which um, I'm sure one or two may appeal to some of you lot. Uh, firstly, my, my good friend and, and previous guest on Goompod, uh, Tilted Riser, has a new series as part of the Jaffa Cakes for Proust podcast. Uh, it's looking at versions on TV and film of A Christmas Carol. Every month up until Christmas, he speaks to a different guest about a, di- a different version, and I was the first. Um, we talked about a film I'd never actually previously seen, unbelievably, I guess, to some of you, A Muppet Christmas Carol. And it was a lot of fun. It also, uh, it, it, uh, it includes a, a digression about pink frogs and green pigs, um, uh, which, which went too far, if you ask me. Uh, also, I was a guest on Phil Cannon's podcast, Who's He? Talking about an early William Hartnell Doctor Who adventure. Uh, now I'm no Doctor Who fan. I've I've seen most of the Hartnell series, uh, thanks actually to formerly mentioned Tilt. Um, but but Phil asked me on, and and I and, and I enjoyed a chat about um, my near total ignorance about the series. Um, so seek out who's he. Uh, the episode's called Planet of Giants. Uh, if you uh, you know if you're into uh, Doctor Who and um, ignorance. Finally, uh, a podcast which I've been a big supporter of for, for years, um, and not because 50% of its creators are from New Zealand. Still Any Good is presented by Chris and Robert, who are, uh, bucking the podcast trend here, two middle-aged men. And <laughs> they, um, they revisit old movies and sometimes TV, which they haven't seen since they were younger, to find out if it's, air quotes, still any good. Hello, this is Still Any Good, the podcast where we run the risk of ruining our childhoods by revisiting fondly remembered films. Have you ever wondered if the movies you enjoyed as a child have passed the test of time? Are they disappointingly awful or are they still any good? We've looked at Superman, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Big Trouble in Little China, Face Off, Trading Place, Police Academy 2, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Bugsy Malone, Escape to Victory, Look Who's Talking, The Man with Two Brains, Kindergarten Cop, Short Circuit, Home Alone, Smokey and the Bandit, Tango and Cash. So are these films still any good? Join me, Robert Johnson, in my cosy living room. And me, Christopher Webb, in my garage. And find out for yourselves. <laughs> it's a lovely garage. And I was 
fortunate enough to go on the other uh, week and talk about the 1979 Steve Martin film, The Jerk. Does it hold up in 2022? Tune in to find out. Uh, but spoiler, yes, it does. Uh, any road up. Thank you for listening. As I say, tune in next Wednesday for a brand new episode. Um, hope you enjoyed today's. Take care. See you soon. Bye.